0: He is good. Yeah. Amen. I'm Kenny White. I get to be the Shakopee Campus Pastor. They asked me to do announcements today, and I thought, what is the most important announcement? Here it is. He's returning. He's coming again. Get ready, because he's coming again. All the other stuff that I have to announce is important, but it pales in comparison. If you just get one thing out of today, he is coming again in terms of announcements. All right, well, there are a few things happening we want you to be aware of. Uh, First of all, if you are a guest with us today or a regular attender, so if you are in this room and breathing, uh, I'm referring to you, uh, you'll notice that there is a a Connect card that you most likely got when you came in. Uh, That is so that we can spam you with unnecessary things, and no, that is not true at all. Uh, We do not do that, but we do wanna help you connect. And so if you fill out that card, Uh, We will be uh, quick to respond and let you know uh, areas that you may be interested in. Additionally, and most importantly, there is an opportunity for you to share prayer requests and praises. And we would love to be praying for you because I happen to believe that there is a God who loves us and who answers prayers. And so uh, we love to take time to pray for you on Tuesdays especially. Our ministry team staff prays over all of these requests, lifts those up to the Lord. Additionally, we have a prayer team that receives these, keeps them confidential, and prays over them as well. So uh, that's very important. Additionally, we have prayer ministers at the end of our services that spend time in prayer. So we want you to be aware of that. Also, today is a family day. This is an exciting day where we get to celebrate some great accomplishments uh, in our church and Uh, preparation for future generations that I'll tell about in just a moment. So having said that, at the end of the service, there is a pie social. We want to encourage you to take some time, uh, have some pie, visit with people around you, love on one another, and, uh, and then, you know, leave it a decent time. All right. Well, we get the opportunity to celebrate some new members, and you're going to see a list of new members. They're blended in there with some Shakopee, some Prior Lake people, and we love that because we love Prior Lake people too, right? (laughs) Okay, Yes, we do. That is the answer. We do. Uh, And so you'll get to see uh, a variety of people on this list, of course, uh, here in Shakopee, some of which will be out there as you see some of those new members. Love on them. Encourage them in the Lord. What a great opportunity for us to take a step of faith and say, hey, we're united together and love one another. You'll notice uh, that Jason Foreman is on this list. That's, that's important because he wasn't sure if he wanted to be a member here or not for a while. And, and so we held his check. And then he decided uh, of his own volition. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it is uh, it is great. In fact, as we celebrate family and what God is doing, one of the ways that we get to do that is through child dedication. And I know there are a couple of families here today uh, that are dedicating their children. So if you would make your way up at this time and as they're making their way up, I want to show you a few slides of some who are uh, one who's being dedicated over in, Prior Lake, right now, Mr. Micah, uh, his family is dedicating him today. In the first service, the Dolls uh, dedicated their Zyla to the Lord. It was a sweet time. I, I have to tell you this because it was it was so fun. Uh, in the first service, you'll remember this, Jason. Uh, their oldest daughter was up here, and there was a bug, and the bug was running around, and it wasn't going to get away from her, and. And she found that thing and stomped on it right in the middle of uh, dedication. It was wonderful. Uh, we, had a, we had a wonderful time. Families, uh, what I'd like to do is I want to read. I'm going to have you go ahead and scoot over close. I'm, gonna, I'm going to read some, uh, uh, some points of dedication. Your response collectively is we will, of course, if you will. And then at the end of that time, I'm going to respond to you. There'll be two specific questions. If you will, your response, our collective responses, we will. And then what I would like to do is both of you have some scriptures that I would just like to pray over you uh, and your kiddos. And then we're going to go to the formalized dedication. So uh, with that in mind, let's jump in.
1: I I need
0: another hand, Ben. I don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> One is enough, right? Here we go. Y'all are doing great. you acknowledge that your child is a precious gift from God and express heartfelt gratitude for the blessings that they are to your lives? Mm-hmm. Will you commit to dedicating your child to the Lord, acknowledging God's divine gift and surrendering any worldly claims on their lives with the hope that they will belong completely to Jesus Christ? Are you prepared with God's guidance to raise your children in the ways of the Lord, providing them with discipline and instruction and making sincere efforts, showing patience and love to instill the word of God, the character of Christ, and the joy of the Lord in their lives? Will you rely on God as you seek to fulfill the physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual needs of your children committing to turning to your Heavenly Father for wisdom, love, and strength to serve your children? Will you make it a consistent prayer with God's grace that your children come to place their trust solely in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and the fulfillment of his promises, including eternal life? Will you commit to growing in your faith so that you can lead them in their faith as you encourage them to follow Jesus as their Lord and obey his teachings throughout their lives. God bless you. All right, church. As the Lord places these families on your heart, will you join in praying for them, asking the Lord to guide and strengthen them as they raise their children in the ways of the Lord? We will. Will you commit to growing in the Lord so that the generations to come can count on you as an example of faith and discipleship in Christ? We will. All right. Let's go ahead and if you could, thank you. One more. Uh, let's let's go to Gideon's. Yep. All right, Gideon, your parents picked Romans twelve. Yeah, they did. It's exciting. And I want to give this prayer to you. Gideon, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, Gideon, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, Mr. Gideon. Gideon, together with your parents who love you dearly and this fellowship who care about the outcome of your faith, I dedicate you to God, surrendering together with them all worldly claim upon your life and the hope that you will belong wholly to Jesus Christ forever. We dedicate you today in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God bless you. All right, Mr. Rowan, hello. Your parents picked Psalm 1, 1, and 2. And I'm going to read that over you. Rowan, blessed are you as you walk not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But your delight is in the law of the Lord. And on God's law, you meditate day and night. May the Lord bless you. (laughs) Rowan, together. With your parents who love you dearly and this fellowship who care about the outcome of your faith, I dedicate you to God, surrendering together with them all worldly claim upon your life in the hope that you will belong wholly to Jesus Christ forever. We dedicate you today in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Church, will you give them a hand? I'm just going to do a little tap number as Jason makes his way back. (laughs) God bless you, Jason. Have fun.
1: All right. Thanks, Pastor Kenny. Well, for those of you who don't know, my name is Pastor Jason. I get the opportunity to serve as the adult ministry pastor here at Friendship Church, and that means... Sometimes I get the opportunity to open God's Word and dig into what it says and what it has for us. And this morning we're continuing a series that we started on the Holy Spirit, God in us. And we're going to be diving into the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. And so if you have your Bibles or devices that gain you access to Scripture, um, you can situate yourself. At Galatians chapter five, as we look at uh, what the Holy Spirit produces in us, how he works in our hearts. And in a moment, I'm going to invite us to stand as we read Galatians 5, 16 through 25. But instead of having it up on the screen, and instead of inviting you to follow along, I'm going to invite you to kind of mark, place mark where that is, set it down on your chair, And then have the word read over you. And so I'll invite you to stand right now. And if you're comfortable, feel free to close your eyes and just allow God's word to be read uh, over you. Galatians 5, starting in verse 16, the apostle Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would give us insight and wisdom as we seek to understand your word. We pray that you would use your word to form us into the image of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, bear your fruit in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, I'm not, I'm not a history buff, and I've said that before as I introduced something from history. But trust me, I'm not a history buff. I just listen to some podcasts every now and then, uh, and so maybe that makes me an expert. I don't know. In today's world, it sort of does. Um, as a joke, um, yeah, you can laugh. But one of the podcasts I listened to, uh, the guy was talking about ancient Rome having one of the greatest militaries of the time, and actually probably one of the greatest militaries uh, ever, and one of the greatest class of warriors that belonged in the ancient Roman uh, Empire was the Roman legionary. These legionaries were so good that many other civilizations and cultures tried to copy the Roman legionaries. You know what they called those who tried to copy the Roman legionaries? Imitation legionaries. They were real creative back then. But these imitation legionaries were never quite as good. They were never just the same. Why? Because they were imitations. They simply mimicked the externals that they saw. You, you couldn't take a disgruntled Roman legionary from Rome and bring him somewhere else and say, hey, uh, how did you guys do all this? And let's, let's have our own legionaries now. It just didn't work. You couldn't do that. Because true Roman legionaries were formed through decades and centuries of Roman culture that cultivated the type of person that would become a Roman legionary. They they were a fruit of the culture that they were steeped in. There were things in their culture that undergirded those external actions, how they conducted themselves, and the quality of their combat was the fruit of that culture that they were rooted in. They were not the synthetic imitation of a desired quality. That's how I'd like to frame our discussion about the fruit of the Spirit. When we look at what the Holy Spirit does in us, and when we read a, a passage uh, like many of us are familiar with from Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, and we see these nine qualities that are listed here. When we, when we look at that, I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to go and think, oh great, here's a checklist. This is what what I need to do. And if I can check all nine of these off and and say, yeah, I think I'm doing good enough for all of these, then we're set. We're good. That's, That's what I need. But the whole point of the book of Galatians, the whole reason that Paul wrote this book was to remind the Galatians you're free from the law. He's not giving them a new law that says this is the old law that you were under and now here's the law of the spirit that you have to submit to. The whole point is that we've been set free from a kingdom that produces all sorts of darkness and and evil in us. We are, uh, in this world, we are set up uh, culture by culture by culture, whichever culture you pick throughout time and throughout geography right now, we are set up uh, to produce evil. We are set up to produce evil. Darkness. We are set up to bear the fruit of the the flesh, fleshly things. And Paul's saying, We've been set free from that. If you've believed, if you put your faith in Jesus, you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of light, into a culture now where as we are steeped in it, we will become more and more uh, like people who will bear the fruit of the Spirit. We will bear the fruit of the new culture that we've been placed into. So that we're not merely imitation legionaries or imitation Christians that mimic the externals. Instead, we are rooted in Christ Jesus. We abide in Christ Jesus, and so we bear spiritual fruit, or if you will, fruit of the Spirit. Rooted, abiding faith in Jesus will produce spiritual fruit. As we go through this passage today, we are going to talk about what the fruit of the Spirit is. After that, we'll talk about what the fruit of the Spirit is, and we'll end by talking about what fosters the fruit of the Spirit in us. No, I didn't misspeak. We're going to talk about what the fruit of the Spirit is, what uh, the nature of that fruit is. Then we'll get into what it is, the manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit. And then finally, how do we foster? What fosters the fruit of the Spirit in us? So we'll start here. What the fruit of the Spirit is? What is the nature of this fruit that we're looking at? And now, I don't, I don't really like when uh, teachers define what something is by using a negative. Uh, but I'm gonna do it anyways, okay? So, bear with me. I think it's helpful to look at uh, what it's not to better understand what it is. It's not a checklist. Right at the end of verse 23, um, maybe you're familiar with this part from this passage, the fruit of the Spirit, but you can see it there if you've got your Bibles open. Paul says of the fruit of the Spirit, against such things there is no law. He's not talking about legislation right now. It's not as if verses 19 to 21 are all of these things are unlawful And verses 22 to 23, all these things, the fruit of the Spirit, this is lawful. He's already told the Galatians that if they are in Christ, they are set free from the law. Paul is saying that the fruit of the Spirit is born in a person's life, not because it's legislated. You can't legislate the fruit of the Spirit. But because there is genuine transformation that's happening in the heart. He doesn't offer these nine qualities as a new law to follow that phrase against such things there is no law that phrase is used word for word in aristotle in some of his writings on politics and when he's talking about he he's he doesn't say he's not talking about uh fruit or characteristics he's talking about individuals and he's saying against such individuals there is no law well what such individuals Against individuals who live according to the virtues that our Greek ethics want them to live. So individuals who live in an an upstanding and virtuous way, there's no law against them because they are a law unto themselves. Everything that they do is good and right. Right because they are virtuous. That was what Aristotle used that phrase for and I think Paul is doing it in a very similar way to say if if God the creator of the world and 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 judge and ruler of all things if if the Holy Spirit who is God is bearing this fruit then it's good. Against such it's a law unto itself that this stuff is Good, it's not a new law to follow. It's not legislation. Aristotle says it'd be crazy and and irresponsible to try to legislate and put these virtuous men under a law. I think Paul's saying a very similar thing. It'd be crazy to try to legislate and put Christ followers under a law because if we're following Jesus and being filled with the Spirit, we're going to walk in step with the Spirit and bear the fruit of a good God. It's a law unto itself. That's what Paul's saying here. We've moved out of the realm of legislation and into the realm of transformation. Yeah, we can legislate all we want. We can set rules in our homes. We can set rules in our communities. But if hearts don't change and transform, it doesn't doesn't do anything. And that's what Paul's saying. There must be a transformation that happens. It's not a checklist. And so similarly, it's also not a moral code. It's not, in our minds, we want to make it a moral code because it's easy for us to say, here's what I need to do. But it's not something that you adhere to and that makes you a, a Christian. That, that would make us imitation Christ followers, imitation legionaries. No, we, 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 it's something that is born in us. And so it is the natural or actually the supernatural result of God's grace received through faith. See, back in the book of Galatians, in chapter 3, verse 5, Paul asks the church. He says, If has God given you the Holy Spirit because of the works, your works of the law, or has he given you the Holy Spirit uh, because of your faith? Of course, Paul is implying that the answer is the Holy Spirit came by faith. He was not earned by uh, the works of the law that the Galatians participated in. The fruit of the Spirit is is what happens when we receive God's word and respond in obedience. It's the supernatural result of God's grace received through faith. These qualities listed here will increase in us as we walk by faith. The fruit of the Spirit is the result of a life that actively allows God, through the Spirit, to work His word into our lives. If, if you've trusted in Jesus for salvation, as Paul has written in this book, we've been transferred out of the, the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Well, well Christ is the, the king there, and so it's not simply some lip service saying, yes, I've got faith. It is genuinely putting our money where our mouth is and saying, well, yeah, if Jesus is king, then Jesus is king, and, and I will listen to what he says and respond to his word with obedience. And as we do that, that will bear in us the fruit of the kingdom, the fruit of the Spirit that will get worked into our hearts. And just like the Roman legionaries who become what they are because of decades of growing up in their culture, with the Spirit alive in the believer, we bear this fruit through minute by minute, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, saying yes in the small things in obedience to what God calls us to do. Yeah, maybe we bear the fruit of the Spirit by not cussing when we get angry on the road and and opting not to do that and, and instead walk by the Spirit. And as we do that and as we make that decision time after time after time and again after time after time, God will continue to bear fruit in our lives as we treat Jesus as Lord and as God works His Word into our hearts fruit of the Spirit is the supernatural result of God's grace received through faith. And the fruit of the Spirit is summed up as looking more and more like Jesus in our hearts, intent, motives, and actions. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes beyond the the legislation of the old testament law that gave you what you could do and what you couldn't do but it always built into it had uh thought intent and and motive but uh for long periods of time we as humans didn't really see that but jesus pulls that out in the sermon on the mount when when he says if if you've hated your brother you've committed murder why because we're not talking about just externals we're talking about the intent and the thought and the motive. And that's not something that we can easily change, if at all. That's something that must be transformed. And so it is, the fruit of the Spirit is summed up as looking more and more like Jesus in our heart, intent, motives, and actions, because he displayed it perfectly in his life. He taught on it in the Sermon on the Mount, but he's the only preacher to ever live who wasn't a hypocrite. And he taught on it and lived it perfectly and showed us what it meant to bear the fruit of the Spirit in his life. We've seen in this series that one of the major roles, if not the major role of the Holy Spirit, is to point people to Jesus. He's, he's always pointing people to Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 12, 3, Paul also says that, uh, that nobody, nobody can confess Jesus as Lord without the Holy Spirit. Similarly, nobody can acknowledge him as Lord with our actions. Nobody can uh, obey Christ as Lord and treat him as Lord in our lives without the Holy Spirit. You want to see what the fruit of the Spirit looks like, lived out, look at Jesus. And and the Holy Spirit then will, uh, if if we are walking by the Spirit, He will make us look more and more like Christ. That's what He does. He points us to Jesus. And uh, even, even Gideon's verse this morning, do not be conformed to the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul goes on to say that we would be conformed be conformed and made into the image of Christ. And so that's the work that the Holy Spirit does. And so the fruit of the Spirit is summed up as looking more and more like Jesus, not just in our actions, but in our heart, intent, and motives. I mean, look at Jesus. Look at his heart of goodness and compassion. Look at his selfless love, his unwavering joy, his unflinching peace, his long-suffering patience. If you guys been with us for the uh, sermon series on Mark a few weeks ago that we finished up, remember remember those disciples? They're kind of a major role. Uh, yeah, one of the most recent passages we read about them. Jesus is telling them, uh, "I'm gonna die horribly, and it's it's gonna be brutal, and I'm gonna be betrayed even by you guys." And what's their response? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sure. But uh, when we get when we get when we get to heaven, okay, who gets to sit in the good seats? I want that recliner right next to you, Jesus. Talk about long suffering patience as he bears with the ignorance, the failure, and the sin. That's also not just those disciples. I may see myself in that story a lot. Long-suffering patience, radical kindness, absolute goodness, indefatigable faithfulness, unflinching gentleness and supernatural self-control. We see it all in Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is summed up as looking more and more like Jesus in our heart, intent, motives, and actions. See, when... If you put your faith in Jesus, what happened was God God took the blood of Christ and it covered you. And so he looks at you as if you have the righteousness of Christ. He sees us that way. Bearing the fruit of the Spirit means we are becoming that person. We're not that person yet and we will be one day but bearing the fruit of the Spirit means that we are becoming that person. We already look like Jesus to God the Father and we are becoming those people that we look like to God. That's what bearing the fruit of the Spirit is so we've kind of talked about the nature of the fruit of the Spirit. And we ask again then, what is the fruit of the Spirit? This time we're going to look at the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm going to need you all to really practice your long-suffering patience with me. Uh, my goal is to kind of do rapid fire, go through all nine qualities. But if you know me at all, you know rapid fire is most likely not in my vocabulary. But we're going to try, okay? Sound good? Okay, here we go. At the end of the day, our goal is that the Holy Spirit would produce in us this fruit so that we would look more and more like Jesus, just like how it takes years of culture to create a Roman Roman legionary. So it takes years and decades of faithfully walking with Jesus for the Holy Spirit to continually bear this fruit. We make ourselves available to God and till the soil of our hearts so that we are ready to bear this fruit. We see in Jesus, first and foremost, self-giving love now these are listed um one interesting thing about this fruit of the spirit here love uh is often used to sum up all of the old testament torah all of the all the laws all the commands all of god's heart love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength love your neighbor as yourself love is used to sum that all whole thing up the last phrase here in the fruit of the spirit, self-control, was used by the Greek philosophers to sum up the whole of their Greek ethics. I think what Paul is doing by putting love at the front and putting self-control at the end is he's saying, yeah, and uh, the, the, the Greek philosophical system that through natural revelation has found some virtuous actions and virtuous living um, The fruit of the Spirit, if it's in line with God's will, the Spirit will bear the fruit uh, even of the virtuous things that the Greeks are pointing out, if it's in line with God's word. And so what Paul is saying is you don't need something else. You don't need some other philosophy. You don't need some other uh, worldview. You don't need anything else other than the Holy Spirit. He will give you all that you need, and he will bear all of the fruit that you need for right living in the kingdom. So uh, that's interesting. That's what's going on there. But love. We see in Christ Jesus self-giving love. Even in the book of Galatians, Galatians 2.20, Paul tells us, Jesus gave himself up for us. This is true, self-sacrificial, genuinely unconditional, won't let it go love. It's not something that we can imitate, but instead something for God to work into us. As First John says, we love because he first loved us. Charles Spurgeon says of love, uh, love for God, true love, real love for God and others, comes out of a man because it is in him, wrought within by the operation of the Holy Spirit, whose fruit it is. The Spirit bears this fruit in us. We don't conjure it up. Joy. According to Hebrews 12, two, Jesus, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. There's joy even in hardship, trials, and persecution. Not a conditional joy that is based upon circumstances, but an indestructible joy, which isn't a quality that we can imitate. Um, I don't do a ton of counseling, but a little bit, and I got to tell you, if if somebody came in and they were distraught by something, and I looked at them and said, just be happy. That Trust me, that won't go over well, okay? I've tried it. That doesn't work. Stop it. Just stop it. Just stop being sad about this. We don't will ourselves to be happy. Happy is a condition that we find ourselves in. Yes, maybe if we get the right head space and the heart space and we can cultivate a little bit but at the end of the day uh, there are things that may happen in our lives that we don't expect and we don't plan for and there is true sadness that we feel yet there is a joy of knowing the Lord and knowing the hope of the gospel that is enduring despite last week we sang a song it is well with my soul the, the man who penned that song, Horatio Spafford, wrote that song on a boat on his way from America to England. And as he's going from America to, America to England, he's looking out over the sea, and what, what does he see? He sees waves. He sees sea billows. And he writes that line, when sorrow like sea billows roll. You guys know that line? When sorrow like sea billows roll. And I bet you what he's thinking is those same sea billows that just months ago or weeks ago, took the lives of my three daughters. A man who lost it all, lost everything in the Chicago fire, sent his family to England, lost his three daughters on that trip, goes later to deal with everything, and as he's going, he pens that song. How can a man write it is well with my soul while he's traveling the same trip that took the lives of his three daughters. Because he's abiding in Christ Jesus and he finds joy despite circumstances. I mean, he was going through it. He wasn't denying the pain that he felt. Sorrows like sea billows are rolling. He didn't downplay the pain. But he also didn't forget where his hope was and therefore the joy that he had. That comes from walking with Jesus day by day, seeking him through his word and prayer and encountering the joy of the Spirit alive in us. Through the Spirit is peace. Christ demonstrates the peace of his relationship with God the Father as he prays in Gethsemane, God, if there's any other way, take this cup from me not my will, but yours be done. I'm at peace with you, Lord. I'm at peace with this plan. I'm at peace with what I have to go through because we, in our relationship, experience peace. Christ, as Paul says later, is the one who made peace by abolishing the hostility that existed between man and God. As man had created hostility and we had rejected God, it wasn't as if God set us up to fail. We rejected God and said, we don't want you to run things we want to run things man creates this hostility and jesus abolishes that hostility that man had created between man and god and man and others paul talks about how christ is our peace and he is the means by which that hostility is abolished if we are filled with the spirit this same peace peace with god peace with man peace within is available to be worked into us patience we keep looking at christ again because the holy spirit uh bearing his fruit in our lives is summed up by looking more and more like jesus so we look to christ we see how he bears this fruit and as we do that we walk with christ and follow his example and are empowered and strengthened by the holy spirit so that that same fruit is born in us right this is this is becoming a roman legionary here right that's why we keep looking to jesus i mean go figure you show up to to church and we talk about Jesus a lot. But that's this morning why we're talking about Jesus. We want to see the fruit lived out in his life so that we can be formed more and more into that image. It's patience. Psalm 103.8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. When I read in the Old Testament and see, uh, sometimes it looks, well, oftentimes, not oftentimes, sometimes, I was right the first time. Sometimes it looks harsh. God may say that he is going to mete out punishment uh, to the third or the fourth generation. All right? That doesn't seem great. Like three or four generations from now, I'm still going to be paying for uh, whatever it was that I did. Yeah, but then we read that. Next to those who keep covenant and those who are faithful to the Lord... I will uh, extend love to them and, and keep my covenant with them to the thousandth generation. So the Lord, God, is, is quick to extend grace, quick to extend mercy. When you read about his wrath and his anger in the Old Testament, it's always God was provoked. God was provoked to wrath. When you read about his grace and his mercy, you read God is quick to extend that mercy. It's like he is bound up, kind of wound up already and the moment that there's repentance, the moment that there is somebody who is seeking the Lord, bam, here you go. Here's your forgiveness. Here's your grace. Here's your mercy. His wrath, his anger is long, long long-tempered. It's motivated by his love, obviously. That he, he does not desire to act on that anger or that wrath. That he desires that we would receive his forgiveness, and that's what he wants. He wants to extend that grace, he wants to extend that mercy. He I can't say that God does something begrudgingly, but he almost, it seems like, almost God begrudgingly will consumed with wrath. It seems like his default is that he wants to extend grace and mercy. Patience, slow to anger. Thank you, Jesus, that you are slow to anger, knowing my heart and my decisions and my life. Again, think about Christ's patience when he was here on earth. As we talked about the disciples bearing with their failures, bearing with our failures, in our sin and our ignorance. When the disciples repeatedly didn't get the message, when we repeatedly don't get the message, man, it, oh, it takes forever for me to learn something up here. Now, I don't have a ton of stuff going on in this brain up here, but when there are things up there, it takes a long time for it to work its way down here, and I'm thankful that the Lord is patient. And the Holy Spirit wants to work that patience into us so that we, in the same way that Christ bears with us, we bear with others. Bear with believers as they sin and fail against us. And to be long-tempered. Here's a quality here that I used to think, I got this down. Patience is easy. I I can just wait and wait and wait. Yeah, patience, no problem. Then about, well, exactly four years ago, uh, we had our first child. Now, it's not the kid's fault. Children don't know what they don't know. They're full of ignorance of the world and of how things work. Yet I see in myself this, uh, why can't you just get it? Why do I have to say it 50 times? And it, it, it tests my Well, it more than tests my patience. It stretches my patience to the point of there's nothing left here. It's just, it's just how it is. So then I realize that. Okay, here we go. I'm at work. I'm going to be patient when I get home. Well, then maybe I didn't have enough for lunch. Maybe I missed part of my sandwich or left something at home, and I come home just a little bit hungry, and it's game over. Okay? It's, I'm, not, I'm not throwing things or breaking things, but I am not patient. And my wife will sometimes lovingly say, yeah, you probably didn't eat or something. You seem a little grumpy. That really helps. It should, should help. She does it graciously. But in my short, angered feelings, it doesn't. I've come to realize I, I can't really change that. Not if I try to grit it out. I've come to realize that I need to seek the Lord and receive his patience I need to reflect on that and know and recognize that the Lord has extended that patience to me and know that, uh, that the Holy Spirit wants to work that patience into me. It's almost, maybe not almost, it is gracious of God to let me fail, to remind me of my need for him, to work that into me. Patience. Now, as we rapid fire here, please continue to extend patience to me. Thank you. Kindness, taste and see the psalmist writes that the Lord is kind, uh, is the word that's used there. We translate that word as good, but it's the same word. And this is God's gracious attitude towards sinners. It's this attitude that motivated Jesus to the cross. Paul tells us in Ephesians four twelve, be kind to one another, and then he tells us what that means: forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Having this idea of extending forgiveness. Forgiveness is an extension of kindness that the Holy Spirit wants to work into our hearts. And we can only extend true forgiveness when we receive that from the Lord. Most of our, not our, I won't, I won't group you in with me. Most of my forgiveness usually is conditional in some way. Most of it is, oh, if you feel bad enough, we're good. Uh, if, 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 you, if I make sure you understand uh, why that was wrong, we're good. It's not forgiveness. That's not how Christ forgave us. It's free. He took the payment, not me. And so I have to receive that forgiveness in order to give that. Goodness. This is having the interest in the welfare of others. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Christ exemplifies this goodness. The Holy Spirit will work that into our lives as we continue to walk by faith. Faithfulness, 2 Timothy 2.13 says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Jesus is relentlessly faithful to the Father uh, in submitting to the punishment for our sin, but he's also faithful to, to me and to us, to a rebellious people that reject him. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, he says from the cross to the people who put him there. I don't have faithfulness like that can't conjure that faithfulness up. It must be worked into me by the Holy Spirit. Gentleness, meekness. In Matthew 11, Jesus says that he is gentle and meek. One of the only, if not the only place where Jesus describes his heart to people. He calls himself gentle and meek. Numbers 12 fills in a little bit of what meekness is. In Numbers 12, Moses faces undeserved criticism. Now, I do not like getting undeserved criticism. And I will tell you, 100% of the criticism that I get is undeserved. That's why I don't like it. Moses genuinely faced undeserved criticism in this instance. While he did not let himself fully get walked over, he also took the same people that falsely accused him and said what's more important is uh, interceding for them to the Lord and God's glory. That's meekness. That's that's taking... Um, a- anger or, or whatever emotions are stirred up from that undeserved criticism and harnessing it and saying, yeah, that's there, uh, and, and this actually isn't right, but what's more important, uh, I, I could win this argument and, and still lose. What's more important is God's glory. What's more important is that these people are criticizing me and, and actually that's going to hurt their souls and so I need to intercede for the very people that are criticizing me to the Lord. That's gentleness and meekness. Christ lives that out perfectly. Self-control. Self-control. Once again, Aristotle, the man who has self-control very well may have strong passions, urges, yet they are kept under control. The man who lacks self-control lacks the ability to resist temptation. It is a fruit of the Spirit and a genuine, true gift and work of God to be able to resist temptation. We may be able to do it for, uh, some people may be better at doing it for longer periods of time. Some people may be worse at doing it for longer periods of time. At the end of the day, nobody can do it forever perfectly. It is a gift from God to be able to resist Temptation worked into us by the Holy Spirit. Okay, I tried to go as fast as I could there. We are a little bit behind, but that's okay. That is not uncharted territory for me. Um, What fosters the fruit of the Spirit as we end here? What we see after Paul lists those fruit of the Spirit, uh, we see in Galatians 5.24 that Paul says, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We're not looking to imitate a checklist or a moral code. We're looking to be formed into the image of Christ. And the only way to do that is to stop being formed by the things of the world, by the old way of operating. We're told in Galatians earlier that when Christ was crucified, he freed us from the legal punishment of the law. And now we're told here that That same crucifixion frees us not just from the punishment of sin, from the power of sin as well. Paul is telling us the power of sin was crucified when you put your faith in Jesus and and died. The power that sin had over our lives was put to death. Leave it in the grave. Let it sit there. Walk by the power of the Spirit, he is saying. By identifying with Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection by faith. We are not simply freed from the punishment of sin, but also from the power of sin. John 15, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Abiding in Christ Jesus. As we die to our old way, we now live to the new way of abiding in Christ Jesus. Jesus, rooted, abiding faith in Jesus, will produce spiritual fruit. That is the way to walk by the Spirit. That is the way to bear fruit. If I abide in Christ, I will inevitably become more like Christ. That's going to lead us to the table in just a few moments here. So I'm going to invite the worship team out here. But it, we, we come to communion remembering what Christ has done and And reminding ourselves that we abide in him alone. Because if we abide in things of the world by not crucifying the flesh, we will look more and more like the world. That's just what happens. Wherever it is that you find yourself, you become more and more like the people that you are surrounded by, more and more like the things that you are engaged in. If you abide on Twitter... I mean, 24-7, scrolling through Twitter, looking at everything. That will, what I have seen in my heart and in other people's lives, if you abide on Twitter, that will bear the fruit of rage and anger. If you abide on Instagram, 24-7, that's what you care about. That will bear the fruit of vanity. If you abide in Christ Jesus, that will bear the fruit of the Spirit. We primarily do that by faithful obedience to God's word. I've seen it in my life imperfectly. I've seen it in other people's lives in a far superior way. When they are feasting on God's word, there seems to be more of an empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. When I am not feasting on God's word, when I am in a drought and not seeking the Lord through his word, I don't really see the spirit or am sensitive to him at work in me. There's not a new checklist, there's not a new moral code, there is abide in Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit, he will bear fruit in our hearts and in our lives. So feast on God's word, feast on Christ. As we prepare for the table, we think about approaching Jesus now, but also approaching Jesus throughout our week. So as we uh, approach the table, as we approach God's word, approach it prayerfully expecting the Holy Spirit to be pointing you to Jesus. As we approach God's word, as we approach the table this morning, approach it humbly, expecting the Holy Spirit to form you into the image of Christ. And as we approach God's word, as we approach the table this morning, approach it obediently, expecting to be refined by God. How do I walk by the Spirit and produce the fruit of the Spirit? By clinging to Jesus. Abide in Him, and the Spirit will form me into the image of Christ and produce much fruit. So we're naturally led to the communion table as we remember that we abide in Christ Jesus, and we find our life and breath in Him. For those of you who have trusted in faith by Jesus, you are welcome at the table this morning. It doesn't matter uh, where you're at in life if, if you know Jesus, you are welcome at his table. And the way that we do that here is I'm going to give us a moment to reflect. The worship team is going to play a song. You're free to worship. Do what you need to do. Reflect. Uh, examine your hearts before the Lord. And then as you are ready, make your way to the communion table nearest you. Grab your elements. Bring them back to your chairs. And I'll be back up to lead us in the taking of communion. As you reflect, go to the Lord and first Praise Jesus for the fruit of the spirit that he bore in his life for us and to show us what that looked like. And then confess and receive forgiveness from him. The areas that you need to confess to him. Receive his forgiveness and we'll celebrate with communion together in a few moments here.